Bill Show wish to thank our primary sponsors, the Mallon Agency, located in Springfield, PA, where they take pride in exceeding expectations every time. The Roselli Agency. Brian and his team of insurance professionals have been serving the needs of Chester County for more than two decades. Anthony DeCecco and our friends at Tennis Addiction are ready to serve all your tennis needs at their beautiful facility in Exton, PA. It's unbelievable. I have one girl. One. And I don't know how you do more than that. Because I also have a wife. So there's two of them in the house. And you may not have hit this yet, but your 12-year-old is going to be close. It's getting that time. There's going to be like a week. That's unpleasant. for you. (laughs) Welcome everyone to the Rosie and Bill Show. Our guest this week has been making people laugh for decades as a stand-up comedian. He's appeared in feature films, television sitcoms, and he's graced the stage of the Grand Old Opry more than a hundred times. In fact, he became the 229th person and first comedian in 50 years to be inducted into the Grand Old Opry. Please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show, Henry Cho. Henry, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Oh, we're happy to have you, Henry. And I just have to comment on what Bill just said in the intro. First of all, congratulations from both of us. That's quite an accomplishment. Thank you. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Uh, you know, it wasn't something I like sought out to do. And uh, it wasn't a huge, it wasn't a goal. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to be a member of the Grand Old Opry. Uh, you know, it was kind of a fluke that I was even doing it. And then they just kept liking me and kept inviting me back. So then they invited me to be a member. And I had no idea. The Opry's been around for 97 plus years. And I thought there have been thousands of members, but I'm number 229. So it's pretty rarefied air. There's only 60 active members right now. So. Wow, that that's impressive. And I'll, I'll tell you, Henry, one of the coolest things I've seen on video uh, is a clip from January when Marty Stewart surprised you and Gary Mule there. I think it was a, a, a Facebook Live event, if I remember correctly. I mean, what was that moment like when you found out? Did you think he was kidding? Well, yeah, I thought he was full of it. I, <laughs> and I even told the staff who I've known for years that this wasn't funny. Uh, and they go, no, it's real. I went, yeah, whatever. But yeah, they, they, they so they tricked me into showing up because Gary was actually performing performing that night and then they asked me hey are you in town I said yes they go can you come do this Facebook live thing on Thursday or Friday and uh we're going to talk about comedy and the opera and all that and I said yeah I can probably do that so then on Wednesday they're like hey are you coming and I'm like yeah it looks pretty good and so the the staff who set all this up they were panicking they didn't know how to get me to show up they're getting ready to call my wife, but they didn't want her to know either. So uh, finally, I said, yeah, I can be there. I said, if, if Facebook Live, so it's like uh, waist up, like a Zoom. I can just wear shorts. And they go, I ah, don't do that. 
You know, we may go somewhere after. So look, just dress like like you do when you come to the show. So I did, and then, you know, Marty surprised us, and it was such an honor to go in with Gary. Gary and I have known each other for over 35 years. He's a dear pal, and, you know, he, he sings every once in a while on the Opry. So it's, that's why I have the distinction of being the first stand-up comedian since Jerry Clower 50 years ago to be inducted. That's incredible. I mean, thank God, first of all, that that you asked that question <laughs> about yeah. where. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, because I probably have on what I have on now, which is <laughs> I got on my uh, option. Yeah, whatever. Put my pajama bottoms. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so your family though didn't get to see you, and they weren't. They didn't go with you. They didn't go for the uh, invitation. Okay. They went to the induction, which was about a month later. I was only, I was so, I, my schedule was slammed. So I had one Saturday I could pull off and it was actually my son's birthday. And I said, dude, it's only night I have. I really don't want to take away from your birthday. He goes, dad, I'm in my twenties now. It's okay. It's, it's not a big deal. So uh, that was it. So we did it on his birthday. And, uh, you know, I, cause I never want to take anything away from my, my children. And uh, he said, Dad, look at your schedule. He goes, that's the only time you can do it. And Vince Gill inducted me, and he's been a pal for 30 years, and we're been we're big golfing buddies. So it meant a lot to have Vince to be able to do it. So the fact that our schedule worked out, my son graciously said, by all means, do it. Henry Cho, just want to say congratulations. We've been friends for 30, 35 years, good golfing buddies, just good friends, and been on the road together and done an awful lot of things. And I just want to encourage you to come out here. Um, that's the best thing you can do for us. And that's why you're becoming a member tonight is because you show up. You come out here a lot. You've been out here hundreds of times and we're grateful for it. And when we're laughing, there's nothing wrong in the world. If you're laughing, life is good. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, I was in Nashville last summer and we did see Vince Gill perform when we were there. So that was very special. He's so talented. And I'm sure it meant a lot to you to have him do the induction. So congratulations, Henry. That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. We want to take it back to your early years growing up in Knoxville, Tennessee. When did you first realize that you were a funny guy? Like when did you realize you had a knack for making people laugh? You know, I wasn't a class clown, uh, but I was a smart aleck. Um, so, you know, when me and my buddies sitting around or somebody would say something, uh, you know, I always usually had the best comeback or the best one-liner to throw out there. So, I, you know, and my dad was funny and, you know, uh, you know, we laughed a lot. So it wasn't until I actually was in college when I tried stand-up that I figured out I could do this. And half my buddies, you know, the first thing they said when I told them I was going to try stand-up, they're like, you're not funny like that. I go, yeah, I know. But actually, and some of them said, you're not funny, flat out. <laughs> and I said, I know, but I think I can do this. And they're like, you've never done it before. You've never been on stage. I go, no, I know, but I think I can do it. So there you go. Wait a minute. What made you, what inspired you to do that? Like, because not a lot of people are like, I want to go put myself up there in front of strangers 
and tell stories and kind of, you know, that's a scary thing. Yeah, you know, it was, it was a big jumping off the cliff thing for me because, but what did it was, uh, you know, I was really close to graduating and I thought I'd try it. And because my buddy asked me what I really wanted to do. And I said, you know, look at Billy Crystal and Steve Martin. They went from stand up to acting. And I think that's what I'm going to try to do. And they go, what? I go, I'm going to try stand up comedy. And so they didn't know. I said, I entered a competition uh, that's on Monday. And this was like Monday, a week from now. I said, but I'm first alternate. They only need 12. I'm number 13. So I may not even get in. And then Friday, they, I got a call that somebody dropped out. And I still don't know who that is, but I, I need to find him and uh, give him a couple bucks. But <laughs> I told him, uh, so I said, okay, I'm in. So I told my buddies, I'm in. So Monday, we're driving down to the comedy club. I'm hoping my truck will make it. And they're going, you're really going to do this? I go, yeah. They said, well, if you're going to do it, tell the story about this, tell this story. Remember when this happened? So I'm going, okay, okay. So we kind of wrote my set on the way down. And we get there. And I thought it was 12 guys like me, but it wasn't. It was a working comedian competition. There were guys who have been work, doing comedy for years. So I told my buddies, look, I'm just going to go up, get out of my system. I'll never talk about doing it again, but we're here. And I went up and I destroyed. I went up fifth. I won. Uh, they hired me that night. I started working on Wednesday, and I dropped out of college on Friday. Oh, and that my was gosh. Yeah, that was over 37 years ago. Wow. You really yeah. listened to your gut, Henry. Way to go. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. It was a, yeah. And that's what I tell my kids, you know, if you just do what you want. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But you'll you'll never know unless you try. That's inspiring. Yeah, and, and I also think it's a great example of how everything happens for a reason, like that person dropping out and then, you know, your buddies, you're, you're kind of working on things on the way down. And it just it just all happens for a reason, doesn't it? Yeah, it all lined up. It was unbelievable. And, and I was very fortunate because it actually was a the funniest person in Tennessee competition. And it was sponsored by the Showtime Network because they were looking for the funniest person in America, Showtime Comedy Club Network. And it was at the Funny Bone Comedy Club. And a guy named Jerry Kubach was the owner. He was down from St. Louis because it was such a big deal. And he's the one who came up and hired me that night. I came off stage. He goes, how long have you been doing comedy? I said, that's it. He goes, no way. My buddy's like, man, we talked about that on the way down here. And uh, he goes, well, I need an MC this week. Starting Wednesday, you work Wednesday through Sunday. I give you a couple hundred bucks. You want to do it? I said, sure. So I kept in contact with him. I actually had got his phone number that night. And their big-time comedians throughout the country didn't have his home phone number. And I called him, and I said, man, I'm dropping out of school. I can't. I just write jokes in class. I know I'm close to graduate, but I can always go back. I'm dropping out, and I'm going to do this. He goes, okay, if you're going to do it. Let's have, have a plan. So there were 12 funny bones at the time, and he put me on tour right off the bat. Henry, you are fearless. Yeah, I get, yeah. I, at that at that time, I was. <laughs> One thing that I, I can't help but wonder, Henry, is how did it go when you when you went home and kind of broke the news to your parents that this is what you wanted to do? 
Yeah, that I wasn't real fearless about that. <laughs> so my parents, my parents immigrated here from Seoul, Korea, seventy years ago now, maybe seventy-one coming up, and so you know they they didn't speak any English. They learned. They had to go to uh, they got to go to college, Warren Wilson Junior College, back then in Asheville, North Carolina. Nowadays they'd be at Harvard, but back then they got to go to that that small college and they had to listen they had to take the lectures and listen to them six seven eight nine times to understand them and then one generation later i'm cutting class it's crazy so i my mom was buying it from day one because my big goal uh, i got i got i got hit right here uh during baseball practice and uh because i was gonna play baseball that was all i thought about and I wasn't good enough, but, you know, I was going to try. And then I just went to college, like, you know, like I was supposed to. And I just tried comedy. So my mom knew I was going to probably do something different. My dad, on the other hand, he was very upset. He didn't like it, didn't understand what a comedian really was. Uh, there were no Asian comedians that I could point out. So uh, he was pretty much... He didn't, he probably didn't talk to me for about a year and a half. And then his friends saw me at a show in Cincinnati, some of his colleagues, and they said, man, is that your son? He's awesome. And then I was on TV and then uh, I went by the house from a road trip and he followed me out in the yard and he'd never done that. And he goes, uh, you, you stick with this. You're good. I said, okay. Yeah. I got my truck. My girlfriend was there at the time. And I said, I'm bulletproof now. So there we go. Oh, my gosh. What a story. First of all, that your father didn't talk to you for a year and a half. But that's the old school thing. Oh, yeah. they I was supposed to understand that. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, if I was going to go in the yards, I was supposed to play the cello. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, that's uh, you know, my father's the same way. I don't know when you're gonna stop fooling around, but um, yeah. <laughs> but it's great. And and for you to, for that to swing around full circle has got to be such an accomplishment for you, no matter what happened the rest of your career. Oh yeah, yeah. Once Having I got approval. his once I got his stamp of approval, I, like I said, I was bulletproof, and I and I knew it, and I didn't hold back, and. I mean, you know, my, my start into comedy was like a rocket ship, but I worked everywhere. I worked every bad showroom in, in the Midwest and the South just to get my chops. Uh, you know, I did the Chitlin tour, which was all black comedy clubs. The show didn't start till like midnight. I'd go on stage like at 3 a.m. Uh, I, I did a bunch of roadhouse gigs where they had chicken wire around the stage. I mean... I did all these. And so I was doing stand-up every night I could. And fortunately, I worked hard and people liked my what I was doing. So, I mean, I, I started headlining really early. And then I moved to L.A. probably, you know, gosh, less than three years after starting comedy. And then I got on Pat Sajak. He had a talk show, Arsenio. And then I started doing all everything. It was great. 
You know, it's funny that you you say that about all the the diversity of venues that you had to play. I remember reading that, you know, Jay Leno and Jerry Seinfeld talking about if you want to be a stand-up comic, you got to be doing it every night and and to really like you said get your chops. And I was wondering, can you share with us in addition to what you just shared anything that you feel comfortable with that like what's your wildest on the road story? Oh, well, I will tell you this. No, no, no. I'll, I'll tell you this. Early, early in my career, I've, I've been probably doing comedy two or three months. And I got a heckler, and I was the opener. It was called Creative, Inter Creative Entertainment. So what would happen is this guy was doing booking a bunch of comedy shows. He'd go to the Holiday Inn in some podunk town and say, okay, on Monday you got Monday Night Football, Wednesday's wet t-shirt contest, Thursday, you know, yeah, bare knuckle boxing, and then you have a band on the weekends. He said, so what do you have on Wednesday? What if I bring two comedians in and you do a comedy show? So there was, he wasn't there, we'd show up and the bartender, would, you know, try to get the crowd to be quiet and all that. So I'm doing, a show and I'm opening and this guy sitting up front, he wasn't from that town. He was from a bigger city and he just started heckling me. And I'd never had a heckler at this point. Not like that. And I couldn't get him off me. I kept trying to get him off me and I just couldn't get him off me. And the headliner came out on stage and looked at the guy and goes, Hey, his name's Henry Cho. You better remember that name because you're going to hear of him again and he's going to forget all about you except tell stories when he's really successful about how some loser in Ozark, Alabama heckled him and that's going to be you. So I went, do I keep going? He goes, yeah, I keep going. He'll shut up now. And the guy shut up and I did my show. But yeah, Trip Wingfield. Wow. That yeah. is a fantastic story. And that's, I'll tell you what, that's, uh, that's what friends are for and headliners at, at the right moment too. That was, that is a fantastic way to handle that kind of situation and some great foresight that he had because he was absolutely right in terms of the trajectory and longevity, Henry, of your career. And one thing I really wanted to touch on with you because it really is to me very important and I really admire you for this. And it's, in addition to being incredibly funny, your comedy is incredibly clean. I want to know why is that important to you? And does it create any kind of difficulty or challenges when writing material? Uh, it doesn't create challenges for me personally. And so, yeah, so I fancy myself a Christian. So I'm, uh, I've always been a clean comedian. Now I'm not a, and I get in trouble for saying this, but it's true. I, I never build myself as a Christian comedian. I just happen to be a comedian who's a Christian because, you know, Christian comedians aren't funny. But that's a joke. A, that's a joke. I know Tim Hawkins. Love you, brother. But they're funny, but it's a different genre and it's a different demographic. And you're doing churches and all these things. And I don't, I've, I've done maybe five churches in my career. Actually, that's probably a lie. I've probably done three. <laughs> I, I, I just don't do that many. Um, 
and not that I can't do my show in a church, but I always work mainstream. I did, I do Vegas every year. And, you know, that was my goal was to be a mainstream comedian. I just happened to be clean. And, you know, I grew up listening to Bob Newhart albums, who's clean. And Don Rickles, Don Rickles is genius. You know, he's, he's the greatest, you know, people would call him racist now, but he was just funny, but he was always clean. And, you know, I got to meet both him many, many times. I, I got to see him before he passed away. And so that was going to be my brand, was going to be clean comedy. And I do it as a reflection of myself. Uh, you know, I've done many, many things I've, I, I, will, I regret and I'm not really proud of uh, uh, at some point in my life. But I, I can definitely be proud that I've never said a cuss word or anything uh, gratuitous on stage ever. And when your comedy is as good and well written and delivered as yours, you don't have to. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it was funny. I was getting interviewed a couple of years ago, and this young lady was reading the article, and she said it says in this article that it's eighty percent harder to be a clean comedian. And I said, "Do you have that article right there? We're doing a Zoom." She goes, "Yeah." I go read read a little further, and she goes. Oh, says Henry Cho. I go, yeah, I just made that number up like 20 years ago. And she said, well, I read that part to Bob Newhart and he agreed. I go, well, Bob's smart. He knows. So. Well, I agree with you. I mean, it takes creativity. Well. It's above that and find well, funny without right. relying on the, you know, language and and the easy way out as i call it right but you know i'm not approved there are so many comedians that are dirty who i think are hilarious richard pryor all these guys uh you know they use different language than i do and i think they're, they're they are hilarious you know i just i just don't choose to do that you know seinfeld jerry seinfeld said a long time ago that um being being a comedian is a lot like being an Olympic athlete. Like, is a sprinter's gold medal more important than the shot putters, even though you don't know the shot putter's name or don't see them on the Wheaties box? No. So we all do different styles of comedy. And if it's funny, it's funny. Henry, you mentioned um, Jonathan Winters. You mentioned Don Rickles. And I, I recently saw a clip of you. <laughs> And sorry, it's hard for me to keep a straight face because I, 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 I've actually probably watched that clip a dozen times the last couple of weeks. You talking about this one? About the first time you met me. <laughs> so the first time I met Don Rickles, he walked up to me and goes, oh, Dr. Troll, <laughs> which was just hilarious. I busted out laughing. And, you know, people get so offended, but I laughed so hard. And... and as he's walking off, he looked, he pulled pulled his collar up and goes, hey, Henry, uh, too much starch? And I laughed so hard. It's the funniest thing in the world. And then any time I ever saw him after that, as he's leaving, he always just kind of look at me and go, <laughs> you know, I always referred to Don Rickles as an EOO, equal opportunity offender. He just could take shots at everybody, but they were clean. They were incredibly, but it just, it made you, you had to laugh, even if you were the uh, butt of the gym. 
he was he was genius. He was such a pro at it, and he was so good. And you know, I I, I we posted that. Because now people, if they don't know who Don Rickles is, maybe they will. And they need to Google him and watch him and learn that these are just jokes, people. Right. They're just jokes. I mean, I, but people are so sensitive nowadays. I mean, if you, people get offended by my act. That's how microscopic they look at things now. And if you're going to get offended by what anything I say, you know, it's just a joke. It's a joke. Right. I, yeah, I hear you. And I've even seen you, Henry, in a couple of your clips to your point where you've made that point after the joke. It's just a joke. Yeah. Cause <laughs> you almost have to sometimes, you know, you know, I, you know, I paint the edges, but I never cross the line, but people mm -hmm. still, you know, they get offended about everything. Yeah. There's not a topic that there's not somebody who's going to be offended. So as a comedian, you know, last few years has been to a lot of comedians. It's been really hard. But my whole thing is, look, you know, if you came you came to my show. I, I'm not changing my point of view or whatever. Here we go. Right. Right. There's there's one thing that you had mentioned earlier, Henry, I just wanted to touch on, and that is the fact that you said at one point that you wanted to get into stand-up comedy and then get into films, be an actor. And you actually, you, you did that. You, you've been in some feature I, films. I did it. So, but what I didn't know at the time when I, that was my goal was uh, I started having kids. So I was doing a movie in Vancouver and I was there for two months. And my wife and my oldest son, Jackson, he was, I mean, he was in a stroller. I don't even know if he was walking yet. He may have been walking. He was a toddler. He started walking early. So maybe he was a toddler. So they came to Vancouver for 10 days in the middle. And I'd be on the set for 12 hours, come back. And my wife's ready to go out. She's been cooped up all day. Or she'd just hand me the baby and walk out. And then I'd get the rewrites slid under my door. And I'm supposed to work on the script that night. And I can't because we're out. Stuff like that. Right. So I figured out films didn't work. And it's not like Spielberg was calling me every day. But, <laughs> but I was in. And it's very hard to get in to films. So I got invited to... I got asked to do a movie in Australia. I was going to have to go for six weeks. And I just said no, because it doesn't work. It didn't work. Right. And the director wasn't really happy. Producers weren't, you know, and I, you know, I was even asked, what kind of actor am I? You know, who does that? I thought you're an actor. And I said, well, I'm actually a comedian, so I'll be okay. But, and then, you know, they said, what do you think these other actors do? You know, what do you think? And they started naming some A-list actors. And I'm like, I would never put them in the same dad category as I am. So, so what happened is then I had many television deals and then my window shrank. And my last TV, my last TV deal was uh, CBS 0709. And we turned the script in and three days later was the 
the last rider strike, not the current one, but the last one. So I, uh, in 09, I had, I said, that's it. My window's gone. Cause in, by, by the time to develop a show and get it going, my oldest was going to be, I didn't want him to go to school out in California, uh, like, like middle school and high school. I just didn't. So I pulled back for 10 years and I coached my sons, both my boys. I coached their baseball and basketball teams. I coached my daughter's softball teams. I took her to horse riding every day. I missed one high school football game in four years. So had I not had kids, yeah, my career would have been completely different. But I know I made the right choice because I have three incredible kids. And I told them last Christmas, I said, had one of you been in rehab, I'd have been so mad. <laughs> but they're great kids. Well, that's wonderful. You made a really, maybe a hard choice, but the right choice for your family and for yourself. Uh, before we wrap up, Henry, very quickly, what have you got coming up? Where can people go see you? Uh, yes. Yeah, so the end of July, 27, 8, 9, I'm in Selma, North Carolina. No, I'm in Newton, North Carolina, Selma, then High Point, North Carolina. And then I'm in Vegas in September. I'm in, uh, end of September, I'm in Lufkin, Texas, and Corsicana, Texas, and uh, October 26th, I'm in Arlington, Texas, which is Dallas. And uh, I'm, I'm sure there's some I'm leaving out. How come we're not hearing Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? <laughs> uh, you know what? If you're going to hear about Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, I'll be up there probably next summer. Okay. Because if I can't play golf, I don't show up. <laughs> Okay, very good. We well, you were talking about Pine Valley, so yeah, you guys work on that. Get me on Pine Valley, and I'll come <laughs> anytime. Very good. Well, Henry, thank you so much. We have had a blast hearing your stories, talking to you, getting to know you, and folks, we hope you've enjoyed Henry as much as we have. Thank you so much, Henry, for joining us, and folks, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thank you. I'll tell you what happened in Home Depot the other day. Okay, so we have a lake cabin. It's not really a cabin, it's a shack. I call it a cabin. I'm doing a little work on it. Anybody know what you call the stuff you put in between the logs of the log cabin? Chink. So I go to Home Depot to buy some chink. Just hang on. Now, I don't know. We don't even think that way. I mean, why would we? I haven't told my wife, honey, I'm going to Home Depot, get some chink. She's like, well, get enough. You know, we don't care. <laughs> it's actually called chinking, but we call it chink in the biz, and uh, it's used on log cabins, and log cabins are here for Chinese people, so if you're Chinese, there's my disclaimer. <laughs> I mean, wait, I was just going to run in and grab the chink and run out. <laughs> I can't find it. I have to ask for it. So I see a guy with an orange apron on, so I know he works there. And I know his name's Danny, because it's Sharpie right there. Danny's kind of half turning a box. And I'm like, hey, Danny, y'all got any chink? And Danny goes, no, man, we don't sell chink no more.
I said, what do you mean they don't sell chink? It's Home Depot. I don't need a lot of chink. You got a just chink aisle, special place you keep the chink? No, sir. I said, well, can you ask somebody where I can find some chink? Yes, sir. Hey, Larry, we don't sell it. Any of that stuff, you put it between logs, do we? Larry walks around going, no, man, we don't sell chink no more. What are you doing, sir? And I went, oh, wow. I'm going to go to Lowe's and do this again. I called my wife and I said, okay, think about what I came to get. Think a little harder. Had to ask for it. Hilarious. I'm going to Lowe's. Yeah, meet me there. Be fun. Come on. And she did. Brought a friend. Crazy. And now my, my boys are ruthless when we go to Home Depot. Ruthless, man. They know that story. We'll see you guy working there. Go, Dad, Dad, do it to him. Do it to him. Like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. You're only half, it ain't gonna work.